If you are anything like me, then you may find giving and receiving feedback challenging. My name is Phil. Welcome to Vertical Playpen. And in this episode, I'm going to be discussing all things feedback with the author of The Feedback Fix, Joe Hirsch. It is super great to be with you, Phil, and I'm really looking forward to this. My work focuses on feedback and specifically helping organizations design and deliver feedback without fear and to help individuals experience feedback with greater joy. I've shared that message as a keynote and TEDx speaker, as the author of a book called The Feedback Fix, as a contributor to publications like Harvard Business Review, Forbes, Inc., The Wall Street Journal, and other major outlets. I'm a father of four and a husband of one. And one of my great joys, aside from hanging out with my family, is helping people experience this greater sense of self, this activating self that happens whenever they finally begin to take feedback and turn it into something positive. When we talk about feedback, I almost, I think that, probably others listening to this have either maybe two responses to them. They've either had some really great feedback in the past that they see as like growth. No, please always tell me everything I need to know. And it's maybe, maybe they've had social proof to determine why that's important to them. And maybe then on the flip, people have heard oh, more feedback. It's always critical. They're not receiving it in a way that makes them feel good. What do you think are the characteristics that make feedback either positive or negative? And I know there's obviously nuance there. Sure. Well, I like to think about great feedback, not in terms of feedback, but something else, feed forward. Because we can't go back and change the past, but we can absolutely start where we are and change the future. And feed forward, which is the basis of my book, The Feedback Fix, is an operational manual for how to have more candid, caring, and collaborative conversations that focus on strengths and not weaknesses, that are all about partnership and not power, and that ultimately are about activating people's best sense of self and not their worst. And so with Feed Forward, we can actually change the tone and the trajectory of these conversations. So good feedback is the kind of feedback that looks out towards a future that people can still change and control as opposed to looking back on a past that they can't. So the best feedback that anyone out there listening has probably ever received has been future focused. It's looking out at future possibilities. It's centered on strengths. It is focused on who were they in their best moments, not in their worst. And ultimately, it operates as partnership. It engages them as a valid and valiant partner in the process of change and development and doesn't look to them as just someone to take orders, but someone to take charge. How should we be applying some of the feedback that we're given into actionable steps, though? So the first step is to really be clear on what it is you're trying to work on. And, you know, feedback is like ice cream. It comes, it comes in a bunch of flavors. And if you don't know what exactly you're looking to get in terms of your feedback, you're probably not going to get what you want. And, and that simple reason is that the person who you're asking to get feedback from isn't going to be clear on what you need. So the first step is to get clear on what are you looking for out of this conversation? Um, are you looking for evaluation? Do you want me as your boss to actually correct something you did or weigh in on an action that you took? 
Are you looking for appreciation? Do you want a pat on the back? Are you looking for encouragement? You having a down day and just need me to like give you a little bit of lift? Or is it about coaching? Are you looking to grow in a certain area? Do you need guidance? Do you need um, do you need some advice? And am I the one to provide that to you? So be clear on the kind of feedback you're looking to get. And the second step is to really dig deeper into that feedback. Don't try to love it <laughs> because you won't at first necessarily when you hear that message, especially if it's corrective in nature, but try to understand it. And I advise clients to, to look at really two different types of questions that can be particularly helpful in, the, in this regard. And for listeners who are emerging in their leadership, these questions are indispensable. The first question is a light bulb question. It's about gaining clarity. It's about trying to find more information and to find that signal amid all that noise. And light bulb questions help us gain more insight, more understanding. And then there are funnel questions. So once we know kind of what's going on and what's the context and the contours of this feedback, it's time for us to dig a little deeper and to understand how we can bring it to action. And one of my favorite funnel questions, it's so impactful, is if you ask the person giving you feedback, what's one thing that I can do to bring this to action or to bring about a satisfactory result? Now that question is powerful for two reasons. It gives the person giving the feedback a chance to really be focused and to give you one thing so that he or she is not overloading you with advice or suggestions or, or worse. And it's also good for you as the receiver because now you can operationalize one thing because we can do one thing. We can't do necessarily five things, but we can always do one. And so the combination of light bulb questions and funnel questions help us gain more clarity and more insight into what is happening and what we can do next to happen from here. And then finally, seek people outside your circle to, to really understand how you can shape the path. You know, sometimes when we get feedback, we're, we're blinded by emotion, we're supercharged, and it's hard for us to really chart a path forward. So it's very helpful if we seek the advice and the counsel of people uh, who either work beside us at work, colleagues, trusted partners, family members, your mother, if you please. I mean, it's whatever is going to make you feel like you can actually reach out to someone, set the situation up in front of them and have them be that mirror holder for you that I like to talk about. Someone who's going to enlarge and expand that view of who you are and who you are becoming. I'm intrigued by this notion of when feedback should necessarily be occurring and how often. So let's say, I'm going to give an example. Let's say we've I facilitated a program and I had a co-lead, someone who was with me alongside me and were watching what I was doing, maybe shadowing performance. Sometimes you mentioned in there that can, there can be an emotional period of time. Like let's say I did something and it flopped and it was very clear and evident. If I receive that feedback then and there, it might not feel great. But when do you recommend people receive feedback and how often should we do it? Because I can imagine people like to store stuff up and it could be like overwhelming if there's like a laundry list of stuff you're doing wrong. So one of the big problems of traditional feedback, which usually focuses on the past and usually operates with people's deficits top of mind, is that it usually doesn't happen with a great deal of frequency. And so there's oftentimes a lot of time a lot of space between the incident and then the discussion that happens. And for some organizations that I've worked with, this sometimes means going months without these check-ins or, or, or um, 
or continuous updates on performance. And so what ends up happening at that point is that neither the giver nor the receiver can really remember or appreciate what it is that is being discussed. And memory researchers have a term for this. It's called the forgetting curve. And the forgetting curve is exactly what it sounds like. It's a a sudden and steep loss of information that as soon as we begin to learn something, we almost immediately begin to forget it. And within about 24 hours, almost 50% of that information is lost, which is astonishing. And then over the course of the remaining several days, the ensuing days, so more information slips out. And by the time we come to like a week later, we barely remember the conversation or the incident. And so you can imagine in a, in a context about work where someone's describing for me something I did and it's been several weeks since that incident has happened, I'm probably going to become agitated, disturbed, distressed, and that fear factor that all too often happens with feedback creeps in. So we do want to hit issues sooner than later to address this natural memory loss that is occurring anytime we have these conversations with people. At the same time, we also want to make sure that people are ready to receive the information. And so it could just be a simple question that you ask someone, look, I noticed something I'd like to talk about it. When's a good time for us to discuss this? Here's what I want to talk about. Uh, here's the reason why I want to talk about this. Let's set a time to really discuss it so that you and I uh, can have this conversation and let the person who's guiding that conversation give you some insight on where and when that ought to happen. Uh, The one thing that we don't want is to set people up for a conversation that's just going to end with both parties getting aggressive and aggrieved. And so asking for when the best time to have it, but also keeping in mind that the longer we go before having the conversation, the more difficult that conversation is going to be is probably the balance we want to strike. You don't want something to never appear, but then you look at the calendar and you're like, I don't know when I'd be able to even have this. So is it lost to me? I don't think there's an expiration date on feedback. I I think there's an expiration on the impact it can have, but it's never too late to talk to someone about how they can improve. And especially when we frame the conversations in a caring, collaborative manner. So I approach you and I say, look, Phil, uh, I want to talk to you about something that happened. It's been a few weeks and I've just been thinking about how to have this conversation the right way because I care about you and I care about the work that we do together, but it's sort of a sensitive topic. And let me tell you what I'm referring to and bring up the issue that happened a few weeks ago. Say, do you recall that situation? And you may, you may not, or we may see it a little bit differently, but at least now you're putting it on the table. Like I wanted to have this conversation with you before I didn't have the courage or maybe the information I, I needed to have the conversation at that point but I don't want it to go away because ultimately I want to help us move forward together in a constructive and productive fashion. So framed that way, I'm not sure that people say, well, if it really meant something to you, how come you didn't tell me, you know, in the moment Um, it's always good to have these conversations sooner than later, but you want to make sure that the stage is set and that the time is right. Let's say for me, because I, I deal with um, a lot of like people who are coming in and training through me and I'm teaching them in the moment. If I don't have that connection, sometimes I feel challenged to be able to give feedback that doesn't seem harsh or critical, even though that's my role. Talk to me about like the, the, how I might be able to help that, even though I'm not necessarily connected and have that bond. Yeah. So feedback ultimately is a relationship game and we the same way we like to do business with people who we know, like, and trust, 
we want to get feedback from people who know us and understand us, uh, who we have a pre-existing relationship with. We like each other enough, either as colleagues or even more, to to want to have this conversation. And we trust that the person who's giving us this information is doing so with the best intentions possible. Until that time occurs, the best way for leaders to win trust is to show trust. And so if you were to approach this conversation by saying, look, you and I are going to be engaged in a professional relationship here, working on this goal. And I'm excited about that. And I know that along the way, there are going to be things that I notice that I think need to be addressed. And I'm going to tell you about them, but I want you to do the same. Whenever you see something that feels wrong to you or looks wrong to you, or I've said something or done something that didn't land quite right. I want you to know you have full permission and my full blessing for you to tell me, hey, can we talk about something that I noticed? And so by reciprocating that trust and by letting people know that I want to receive feedback from you and I want to model that vulnerability and I'm going to give the trust, you'll end up getting some of that back in spades. And ultimately, people will feel more comfortable coming to you with things and will be more comfortable receiving things from you when they know that you're just as open to giving the feedback and getting it also about yourself. Like, so if someone says something to you and you disagree, how, how does how does that work out and play? Is that, is that also a, li- a layer of trust there involved? Does that demonstrate a lack of trust? I think the first place to start is to go back to the person who gave you that feedback and to ask for clarity. We talked earlier about these funnel questions, going deeper into the feedback and kind of borrowing below the surface and to try to figure out exactly what was this person's intention. And it's okay to ask that question, say, I got this feedback from you, Phil, and I just wanted to clarify a few things. Can we find a time to talk about it? Uh, Now doing that is going to achieve two things. First, you're going to get more confidence and clarity because you'll get the missing pieces of information that you didn't have before. And instead of letting a worst case scenario play in your mind, you'll have the facts and you can work with that information. But the other benefit of this is that it's going to show the person who gave you feedback that you're serious about operationalizing it, about really listening to it and doing something with it. And that simple question of, I heard the feedback you gave me. I didn't quite understand the feedback or I thought we might want to expand on that a little bit, or at least I wanted to fill in some, some points that I'm not sure were represented quite, quite right in the conversation. That's the moment where you'll get more information. The manager who's giving you this feedback is going to get a little more of a confidence in you because he or she sees that you're taking it seriously. And ultimately that's going to beget more trust. You'll be better able to work on the information that in turn will make your manager feel confident that you're actually acting upon it and it's going somewhere. And so that virtuous cycle will continue so that at a certain point, you're not going to have to wonder as much because the manager is going to be able to tell you things maybe more confidently, maybe more clearly than he or she did before, leaving no room for guessing or wondering. Yeah. I think it's an almost natural thing for humans to fill in gaps of information with negative narrative. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, if I don't know something, therefore I'm going to X, Y, and Z, and it might lead towards the negative. Yeah. My my next piece is 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 a a, a piece that I ha- I run into personally. It's the difference between feedback that is technical 
And I mean, like I might teach something that's technical, like someone's tying a knot incorrectly. And there's a, there's a correct answer, right? Like there's a right and a wrong. And it's very clear. Oh, you just didn't do it. That's, there's some feedback there, but it's so has lack of personality to it. It's very clear. Right. Versus the way that you interact with a client isn't great or the, or the way that it feels more personality focused that mm. I always struggle giving that piece versus the other. I'm very good about the piece I'm expert in, less so about the, that could be, I don't know, personality based. How, right. What's your advice on delineating between those two things? Because one feels easy, one feels hard. Yeah. And I think they're both hard, right? The only difference between tying a knot and interacting with a client is that all of a sudden now, I don't feel like it's just about my work, which is my inability to make a double knot, but it's about me as a person. It's personal. And so the way that we address that is by depersonalizing feedback. And one technique that has been helpful for a lot of people is an approach I call a feedback wrap. That's W-R-A-P. I was um, waiting for the rap and I was playing some music I know, in the background. all of a sudden you thought I was going to break out in some Mary J. Blige. <laughs> yeah. but, um, so, so the rap is great because a lot of times people are afraid to have the conversation, especially as you're describing about things that are very personal or describe um, a, a characteristic trait or a habit that someone may have or quirk. And, and this approach pulls no punches, right? Instead of dodging and disguising our feedback, which is characteristic of a, a prey sandwich, the wrap approach allows the leader or the manager to have these candid collaborative conversations with total objectivity, but instead of focusing on things that could be left for discussion or debate, it's focused on things that are less contentious and therefore less problematic. So let me give you an example. So let's say I was, um, I was interacting with a potential client. You, you watched that and you had some issues with, you know, how I was maybe talking over the client, not giving them a chance to finish. And it just looked like really aggressive tactics on my part. And it wasn't, we didn't, we didn't win the client. We didn't get the business. And you wanted to talk to me about that. And how can we go forward from this? So you would start by describing what and where that's the W of this rap. You say, look, Joe, I want to talk to you about that client interaction the other day. I noticed that in that interaction, there were three times when you cut into what the, the client had some questions, you kind of brushed them aside, you went full sales mode on the person and didn't really listen to what the concerns of the client were. Are the reason I want to have that conversation with you is because I see you as a value-added member of our team. I think you bring a lot to our work. I know how much you care about the job that you're doing here and, and our, our mission and our vision as a company, as an organization. And so I know you'd want to know this because it's ultimately going to help us do better work together. So at that point, you've done two things. You've given me a clear understanding of what's going on so that my mind isn't all of a sudden racing and bracing for terrible news. I know exactly what we're going to be talking about. And I know the reason why you want to talk about it. It's not because you think I'm incapable. It's not because you think I lack talent or initiative. It's because there was a little bit of an issue. You know that I'm committed. You've expressed that. And now we can move forward from here with a little bit of a diffused setting, right? It's not going to take away all the fear. It's not going to take away all the anxiety. But at this point, I feel a little more comfortable proceeding in this conversation. And the last two parts of the wrap is where the real magic happens. And this is where feed forward is just this wonderful approach that works so well, regardless of your level of experience and it affects leaders at all levels. And that's the, the A, which is affect. Uh, the emotional toll that something has or causes 
The reason why it's important to describe the affect is because of a simple human truth. You know, you and I, we can argue about what we say, but ultimately, I can't argue with how you feel. So if you were to say to me, Joe, this is important because I felt badly for the client. You know, she was really trying to understand our value proposition. You were going super hard on on some of our talking points, but you weren't really trying to listen for what her true concerns were. And she walked away feeling like she wasn't heard and therefore took her business elsewhere. I felt badly for her because it seemed like in that moment she had things to say. Now, what you've done just now is shift the conversation from the dynamics of blame to contribution. Instead of saying, Joe, you're a real boor, <laughs> okay? You, you were rude and you talked over her and like you were super aggressive, which are, you know, you have done this or you haven't done this. You turn the conversation into I statements. You know, I felt badly for this client. I felt badly for your colleague who, when they tried to help you, you kind of brushed them off and said, no, 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 this wasn't a big deal. So those statements don't make people feel worse about themselves. They help them see themselves not as problems, but as problem solvers. And that leads to the last part of the wrap, the prompt, which is where instead of telling and selling the person on your big idea and what you think they should do next, now we shift the dynamics to listening and learning. You say, Joe, look, we've laid it all out. You know, we've talked about what's happening, where it's happening. We've talked about the toll it's had on others. So where do we go from here? What would be your best idea for how we can move forward from this? And at that point, one of two things are going to happen. The less likely scenario, though it happens from time to time, is I still become resistant, defiant, aggressive, and completely disregard everything you just said and cross my arms and steam rising from my ears. And I say, that's totally not true. You misread me. That's not my intention. I don't know why you have it out against me. This is not how I see it. Now, that happens occasionally people will still become resistant and will retreat rather than engage. But at least now you have additional information. You as the manager now know that there's something else going on here. It's more than just a client interaction or a colleague snuff. There's something else happening beneath the surface where the data, the human data, is giving you a different picture. So that's good. That's a win for you. But the more likely scenario, when you framed the feedback this way with a wrap approach and have done the person the service of describing what's happening, where it's happening, the reason for having the conversation, the affective toll that it has taken, and you give the person the ability to still take control of that conversation and show agency and ingenuity, the more likely scenario is they're going to say, wow, I didn't even realize that it happened. I feel terrible about that. Thank you for bringing that to my attention. And actually, I do have some ideas for how to proceed. Maybe what I need to do next is impose a, a three-second wait period, you know, before I speak next time. Or maybe I can spend time with Tim because he's really good at this stuff. I, maybe I can learn from him. Or, or maybe you can show me, like, can I sit in on some of your calls and just see how you do it? And maybe I can pick up some points. All those ideas, by the way, might have anyways been your best ideas for the person. The difference being now that they came from the person getting the feedback, not from you. And when they come from that person who's closest to the problem, it also means that person is now closer to the solution. And that means they're just a little bit closer to making that 
all important change that we want to see this time on their terms and timetable. It really aligns with also the stuff that we often do when we're creating group norms with participants, that we have them own the norms in that they create them. It's not like we're coming up and saying, these are the rules of engagement, because more than likely they'll be like, well, you made the rules, you know, like they're, they're anti the rule maker. Right. But when they are in, have ownership and empowerment over that, this feedback model also allows for that same piece, that there's ownership and empowerment to the individual rather than being told they're wrong. At High Five, we have a, a motto, connect, empower, lead. And I'm almost thinking, even to the discussion we've got here, is the connection you've mentioned before of having a trusting, bonding connection between the feedback giver and the feedback receiver, the empowerment of letting them decide. Let me ask you this philosophical, larger topic. Everything that we've you've discussed seems almost obvious. It feels like... It, Sometimes the best jokes that a comedian says are the ones that hit the home the hardest. You're like, oh, of course, yeah. that makes so much sense to me. And I think that's the same with information shared. When someone shares a nugget of wisdom or information, if it hits home so easily, it's because it's like so understand and recognizable. Why do you think that we aren't at a pattern where this is a norm? The way that you've described giving and receiving of feedback, why is that not the norm? Because it seems so obvious to me as you share it. Managers have a couple of concerns. The first is that if I have to engage in all these conversations with people, it's going to take an enormous amount of time. I don't have time for all these check-ins. I don't have time for continuous conversations about improvement. And I got to get deliverables met. I've got a boss, myself, who's down my back. And we've got company objectives and KPIs. And I got to meet all those things. And unless I solve this problem right now, it's just going to linger and get worse. So they're worried about having the right amount of time to address problems so that they're no longer problems. But more than that, Phil, I think it's because managers feel like they have to be heroic individuals instead of creating courageous ensembles. And a courageous ensemble is a team that operates together with that sense of trust, but also with a sense of candor where we can talk to people fearlessly about these kinds of things because we know that we're all playing a little bit differently, but we're all playing together. And when managers shift that mindset from, I've got to solve a problem or force a change to I'm here just to unlock an insight. That's the moment when they may feel like they're giving up a little bit of their power. They're giving up a little of their position. And what I want those managers out there listening to understand is that you giving some of that to the other person and you giving up your power is actually not what you give up. It's what you give. Because in that moment, you have just given someone agency. You have given them empowerment. You have given them permission to discover the best possible terms and version of themselves. When we do that, we're actually adding more value to our leadership. We actually become stronger managers because we're recognizing the promise of leadership, which is to help create other leaders. And each and every one of us has that power to empower. And if we just recognize that and see our role as mirror holders to enlarge and to expand someone else's view, they're going to start to see things more clearly. And it's not going to be because we forced them where to look. We simply showed them what to see. That feels like a full stop on a conversation here. This is future thought. 
It seems to me that giving and receiving feedback is a trained skill. It's something that's going to take repetition and practice and we'll, we, we will improve. Are you seeing forward momentum when it comes to the giving and receiving of feedback in organizations? Yeah, certainly. Managers recognize that they simply don't have enough time, nor do they have enough good data to keep trying to solve these problems all by themselves. The work we do today is increasingly complex and it's less visible. Uh, it's more complex because the work we're doing today focuses on interdependent teams. It is it is highly matrixed and it's very difficult to know who exactly has done what. So especially when it's less visible as it is today still with people coming in and out of the office or still working from home as we speak today, it's very hard for managers to have that visibility and that transparency on what's really happening at work. And so for that reason, they have to shift course and operate with a posture of inquiry, curiosity, and even humility, because it's just not possible to get good data anymore if you assume that you have and hold all the answers. So there's a recognition based on hard facts that have been wrought by the pandemic that we can't go about business as usual anymore because it's not business as usual anymore. And they also recognize it does more for their relationships with their team. Ultimately, managers, many of whom were elevated to that position on the basis of their technical skill, not necessarily their people savvy, recognize the need for really restoring strong bonds or even creating them in the first place with members of their team who they may have had a prior relationship even, uh, and they might have worked with in a different context just even months earlier. So it's super important for managers to win that trust by showing that trust. And the best way to show that trust is by giving people a say in how their professional path unfolds, giving them more voice and choice over that process and how it takes shape. And ultimately, being a listener and not someone who sees people as problems, but instead problem solvers. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. I'm going to attempt to wrap up this conversation with feedback wrap to our listeners. The where was you are listening to this podcast, wherever you might be at the moment, and I appreciate you doing that. The reason was you were looking for information that would help you in your work and moving forward as you go as a professional, as an emerging professional or a professional, always room to grow. Hopefully you're feeling some energy and joy from listening to this. I certainly have. I feel invigorated by it. And my final prompt to you is how are you in your next interaction with either a colleague or a peer going to engage in some feedback that is feed forward and also leaning towards the future? Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I'll pass the guy. <laughs>